Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. Hey guys, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti. I've got a good friend, Nick Bellinamy, myth with me. Uh, Nick, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Great to be here. Yeah, super excited. I like uh, we're, as you were walking in. I mentioned I like the jacket. You're wearing a um, what? Do you, what? Do you, it's like a greenish jacket, but it's not like the Masters green. Um, but it's just it's no, it's good. not quite Masters green. I think it's somewhere in the Kelly green. It's got a gold stripe. Yes. Uh, shout out to my friend at Legacy Clothiers, Dustin Donnelly. Great friend, great dude. That made this. Dustin for clothes me. you. Yes, sir. He does a great job. He does. Right price point too. Oh, always important. I like that. You know what? I'll put his uh, I'll put his name and stuff in there so people can reach out Royalties. to him. He does a. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin is now a sponsor yeah. of Training for Manhood. He didn't he didn't know it. Didn't but, even uh, know it's coming. Welcome to it. So Nick, you've got an interesting story um, backstory, mm-hmm. right? Um, you are now. Married to um, kind of one of my favorite people, right? I'm I'm a huge fan. She's of, one of my favorite people too. I, Dan. I know, I know, but I've known her longer. Fact. Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, Alex um, is part of the Paulette family, and uh, and all four of the Paulettes are just super, super wonderful, great uh, young people. Um, all just you know, I love keeping up with them. Um, but uh, I knew Alex in high school. Probably even before high, but anyway, uh, knew Alex in high school and just watched her um, grow and develop into this wonderful, wonderful young lady. Um, you married her, right, and now have three precious children together, um, and so it's just it's kind of fun watching these things happen. Um, but uh, I didn't know a whole lot about your story. Um, you've shared a little bit with me before, and I was just like, you know what, it would be. Very helpful, I think, for a lot of young guys to kind of hear the journey that you've been on uh, and kind of what God has taken you through. So story time with Nick Bellamy. Yeah, awesome. So, <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I grew up, I'm an old millennial, and so I grew up kind of in that analog generation where I didn't get technology until I was on my way to college. Mm-hmm. And so um, my dad was a salesman and pre-internet, so we, try, we had to change uh, – residences in order to be in his territories and geographies. Okay. And so I lived in Southern California. I lived in Florida. I went back to Southern California. I went back to Florida. And so I kind of ping-ponged around the United States of America for my dad's sales territories. Right. Uh, all along the way, I had an older sister and a mom and a dad who I believed loved me with everything that they had. Uh, really, really, I would say a dream childhood. Mm. Uh, I got to play at the beach most days. I was a waterman or you know, swimming, didn't, didn't have a fear of sharks like the land lovers do. And I got to play in the waves and have a really good time. Sports, school came naturally to me. So mm. I did really, really well in school all along the way, opened up some doors eventually. Um, I played baseball as a young kid and then transitioned in middle school to golf and became a competitive golfer and played that through high school and even into my college years. Uh, never playing for the university, but uh, trying to play amateur events and things of that nature. Yeah. But along the way, um, I would say I think I was 13 years old when my parents sat me down and told me they were going to be divorced. Mm. And uh, at that point in time, I was uh, just really in an atmosphere of... Uh, I would say the party culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know it at su- such a young age that it was right in front of me. But being a golfer, um, I had access to other golfers. And those golfers, um, I don't know if you know much about that world, but it's a pretty rough and tumble world. Uh, people think of 
uh, you know, country clubs and shiny things. But any golfer would tell you that what goes on in the underbelly of the beast is pretty yeah. raw. And so um, I started drinking at 13 years old, and I started drinking a lot, probably around 15 or 16 years old. Started using marijuana at 14. Uh, got into some heavier drugs once I got into college. Uh, had a three-year cocaine problem, and just really, uh, it was it was really a challenge. Um, at 24 years old, I got sober, and by the grace of God, have remained that way since. And so. My story, what I, what I realized during that time period was a couple things. I was trying to fill a void in my heart, yep. which we'll talk about here in a minute. Yep. Um, but realistically, uh, I didn't know any better. Um, you know, at the time that my parents split, uh, my mom, you know, was not an educated woman and had to go to work for the first time in her life and mm. took a job as a hostess at Olive Garden uh, to try to make ends meet. Yep. Uh, my dad started a new life with a, a new family, and I was welcome to that and was able to go be a part of it. Uh, but I had this tension between my mom and my dad, and uh, for lack of a better term, I just wasn't parented at that point. And so I got to raise me. And at the time, I was making straight A's. I was number one on the golf team, and I was you know, drinking and doing drugs, and I was able to functionally accomplish all the things the world said I could do. Absolutely. And so that you, was you were spinning a lot of plates, but they were spinning well. But they were spinning so. well, and I didn't drop many very often. And when I did, you know, yeah. uh, my accolades were able to support me. When sure. I would find myself in the principal's office, my straight A's could could get me back to class without the the consequence. Yeah. And um, you know, and it, I, I wrecked a car once, and I was able to get home without the police finding out. And so, you know, I, I look back now and I see God's hand in so many of these situations where I totally dropped the plates. Yep. And he said, you know, I've got something better for you, so I'm yep. going to put them back together. Yeah, yeah that you, you definitely, with the, the path that you were on, it definitely could have taken a hard left turn at any point and ended up in a really, really bad spot, mm-hmm. right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. I think so many guys who are, who are kind of like on that path, it's kind of like, yeah, hey, I, you know, I, I got it going, right? Um, it may not be the best thing, but I'm, I'm making it, right? I'm, I'm, exactly right. right. You know, I'm, I'm doing it, right? Um, um, and, and I think that's the concept is until, you know, people kind of hit that rock bottom, um, it's hard to kind of step in and say, hey, there's something better for you because you're like, hey, I'm, I'm doing fine, yeah. right? I'm doing, I'm doing good with grades. I'm having a great time. You know, it's kind of like I got life by the horns and, you know, and I'm, I'm riding it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a difficult thing because it's kind of like to say something's better, right, and to walk away from that particular lifestyle, that's a really difficult thing for a guy who thinks this is it. Right. I'm, oh yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm doing it. I thought I had the bull by the horns. Yeah. I went to college, um, joined a fraternity. I made straight A's my first year of college, and so I had a high GPA, and I was super prideful. Yes. I mean, holy cow! Yeah, <laughs> and I was doing all the things. Uh, ended up being a bartender, joining a fraternity, doing all the stuff, right, and having so much fun in my eyes. Yeah, and so at the time, I thought I was just doing fantastic. Uh, did a lot of more shenanigans along the way. Sure. Uh, not, not all that proud of, but made me into the man I am today. So yeah. we can look back and, and be satisfied and not necessarily regretful. And so as, as I went through those years, I ended up graduating college, which most of my friends did not, uh, because it was so challenging to live our lifestyle and accomplish the things that we had to accomplish in order to pass and get a diploma. It is. At some point, Right. When you kind of burn in the candle at both ends. Right. There's a lot of guys. It's just kind of like something kind of eventually burns out. Sometimes guys get to that point and they just say, dude, I can't keep up with this lifestyle. Right. And and they start going towards, Mm -hmm. you know, listen, let's let's, you know, settle down, get the academics, go get a job. And they begin to leave that lifestyle behind. Sometimes you leave the school and the academics behind and you just put yourself wholeheartedly into that lifestyle. And that was more the route that I took. So then I, I, um, the girl I was dating at the time when I graduated college, 
Uh, she got a job in Dallas, so I moved to Dallas okay. in order to maintain that relationship. I took a job making $11 an hour at the time nice. and moved to Dallas with 100 bucks <laughs> in my pocket uh, wow. and, and showed up and put my stuff down in an apartment, went to work that day as a loan officer. I was actually an assistant to a loan officer, and I was just answering the phones and, and running errands and doing whatever I could yep. uh, to fill my days. Um, I really ramped up my drinking at that point in time. I kept uh, booze in my desk, would go to lunch and have beers, and then I would work through the evening hours drinking and just hammering the phones because yeah. in sales, the gift of gab goes a long way. Uh, you get a little liquid courage in you, you can go a little further. Yeah. And it, so, this, this is, and it's funny, this is not an uncommon story. No, this, this is not this, abnormal by fine, any means. This is a lot of people listening going, What's the problem? <laughs> right. This is, wait a minute. I do this every Tuesday. Yeah, so. I mean, this sounds great, right? So wh- where, does, where does this shift and change come in? You Man, I, there was a couple things. So there's some markers that I saw, and it's funny how God gets your attention, right? Yeah. So the very first one was I went to the doctor, and I got my blood pressure taken and all my labs done. I was 24 years old, and he goes, look, Nick, I'm not going to prescribe you any drugs. He goes, but if you continue this, you've got 7 to 11 years before your heart's going to wear out. Really? He goes, because you're, be- you're beating at 110 beats per minute when you should be at 60, <laughs> and you're, you're living living there. Yeah. You know, because, Your resting heartbeat is the marathon pace. That's right. <laughs> right? Like, so Lance Armstrong was, was, you know, at full speed was lower than where I was living. Um, so, oh, so that was marker number one. Number yeah. two was I broke up with a girl, different girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I broke up with a girl just because I wanted to go out and party and she wanted to stay in. And so we broke up and I ended that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, God protecting me from what I didn't know. Yeah. And then the last one was I went and I did a physical assessment with a personal trainer. Okay. And he told me I was below average across the board. And I was like, wait a minute. I've never been anything but an athlete. How dare you say such a thing to me? Do you not know what you're looking at? This human specimen over here? So those three things (laughs) happened. And then I went and tied one on one weekend. Okay. Uh, started drinking early in the morning, uh, drank all day with my friends, uh, convinced them. I Look, I heard the story the next day because I blacked out in the middle of the day. Mm. Um, and I, these were the last set of friends I had in Dallas because I hadn't been in Dallas long, and I burned the bridge. And so I knew nobody. I only had my work acquaintances. Everybody kept me at arm's length because of how volatile I was. Yeah. And so I didn't really have any people. And I got to this point where um, I woke up. I had my keys in my pocket and a valet slip. And I had a dream that while I, overnight I had had a dream that I wrecked my car and walked home. So I woke up thinking I had wrecked my car, walked home, and still and like I had stolen my car from the valet is what I had told the lie I had told myself. Yeah. And so I never even like, but I ended up having the valet ticket from somebody else who wasn't able to get their car because they didn't have the valet <laughs> ticket. And then I had my keys because actually I had never driven. My car was just at my friend's house where I had started the day. Okay. So he eventually calls me and he goes, hey, man, do you remember anything from last night? And he comes and picks me up a few hours later, tells me the story of what he found Mm. and then said, hey, we can't be friends anymore and dropped me off at my car. And then so I went and I had my very last beer right after that. I drove to a Hooters on Beltline Road in Addison and I had a beer and a chicken sandwich and it didn't taste good. It didn't feel good. I had rolled my ankle the night before. And so I was in pain and I was dealing with it. Um, I actually remember this day. It was February 3rd, 2008. It was Super Bowl Sunday. I was supposed to go watch the Super Bowl. The Patriots had been perfect that year and lost to the weird catch where the guy caught it on his helmet. Yeah, the Giants. uh, The Giants. I know. So I was supposed to go to a Super Bowl party and I canceled and I laid on the couch sulking and was super lonely. And it was in this moment that the Lord started speaking to me and I didn't even know it. And I started 
kind of picking up all these different things that I had thought time and time again about myself, um, that the 10-year-old version of myself would have been detested with me at the lifestyle I was leading, Um, just that I was constantly trying to be somebody else. And what I'd come to realize years later was that I was essentially disliking who I was and using alcohol to uh, numb that sure. and just move on to the next day. I used to call it time traveling to tomorrow. It, it is. <clears throat> and, I so, mean, and it does a great job with it, right? It is, oh, it, is a, sure. it is a depressant, right? And if you don't like who you are, uh, it is a fantastic just, you know, as you said, you know, liquid courage to, to get yourself ready to go. It just, you know, you, you, you don't have to look in the mirror and be, have this honest assessment of who, you know, with life. You just drink some alcohol. In fact, I, I sat down with a group of seniors one time and I said, if anybody can give me a good reason to drink when you go to college, right, I'll buy you your first beer. And they're all looking at me. Remember, I'm at a, at a Christian school, right? So they're all going to be like, what? Like, yeah. I said, listen, give me a good reason. And one of the kids raises his hand. He goes, I don't like who I am. And alcohol makes me somebody that I like. And I was like, okay, that's a reason. That's a reason. Not that's a good a, one, but, it, but it's a reason nonetheless. And, and, right. And I was like, and it really is the reason why yeah. I think most people drink. I said, but it's a really terrible statement you're saying. And he goes, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Right? He goes, when I walk into a room and I don't have alcohol, he goes, I can't communicate with people. I know they don't like me. He goes, when I drink, I don't care. Right? I can become somebody totally different. Right? And I was like, oh, that's just, that's sad. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the reality of it. Yeah, and mental health is a huge, huge, huge problem, and that yep. and that's really where a lot of this comes from. And you know, through my reading and 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 the years that I've had, I mean, I've been sober fifteen years, so um, you know, I have just come to realize mm. that in the end, I didn't like who I was. Yep. I used a substance to change it, and I had never been taught how to deal with the black cloud of depression. Yeah. Nobody ever prepared me for it. Nobody ever told me about it. It was taboo. People didn't talk about it. If you had a bad attitude, you were just told to ship up, shape up, and get to work. Yeah. That's what you were told to do. And so a lot of the times we sweep it under the rug and we move on, and then it festers, it festers, it festers, it builds, and then it dwells. So um, luckily, the girl that I had moved to Dallas with, yeah. um, her dad was a devout Baptist man from southern uh, Florida, and he had come a couple times and visited us while we were living in Dallas okay. and made us go to church. Okay. And so I came to Prestonwood Baptist Church, and I heard Jack Graham preach the gospel. Um, I did not respond. I thought he was crazy. Mm. But actually, I was looking around, and I go, huh, this guy has a multi-million dollar operation, and they're not selling a product. They don't have anything. Remember, I'm a capitalist at this point. Exactly. The only yeah. thing that I know is that I'm supposed to make money and worry about me. Yep. And so I'm looking around going, man, this place is incredible, yeah. and they're not, there's no product. Yeah. Like, they're what, not what pushing is going anything. <laughs> How are they making revenue? Like I didn't understand tithing and giving and all that stuff, right? That's a different lesson for another day. Oh, totally. Um, That's and great. so I heard him say one thing, though. He said, on Monday nights, I have a place for alcoholics and addicts, 7 p.m. in the, in the chapel. No way. So fast forward months later, and I couldn't tell you how many months later. Uh, it was all blur back then. <laughs> I was drinking every day at that point, multiple times a day. I used to say eight times a week because on Sundays, I would wake up, start drinking, pass out, and then wake up, start drinking, and pass out. So I would go for two on Sundays. <sighs> Sunday fun day, right? <clears throat> and so wow. I had just reached that point. I was sitting there on Sunday. I canceled going to the Super Bowl party, and I was sulking. My ankle hurt. I'm yep. icing it. I got a bandage on it, and I'm laying there staring at the TV, and I had no idea where to turn for help. Mm-hmm. So I go to work the next day. I tell my boss, hey, I'm going to go get help. He goes, oh, my gosh, I've been praying for you for Seriously? two years. Oh, wow. Which floored me. Yeah. I had no idea he exactly. even prayed, yeah, like what? let alone for me. Um, and then I walked in 
And, and this is the longest walk of my life that I can ever remember was the walk from my car into the church to walk into the chapel because I didn't think I'd belong there. Yeah. I didn't feel – I knew I was broken, but I didn't want to admit to being broken. Yeah. I wanted to be prideful. I wanted to be selfish. I wanted to be about me because that was what I – that's all I knew. Yeah. But that was the problem. And so I go in and I – this middle-aged, very good-looking man, well-fit, you know, just sitting there. He's talking to me. He hears my story, spends probably 15 to 20 minutes with me, puts his name tag on, says, minister – I thought I burned the holy water, knew nothing of faith, had been to church a dozen times in my life. And so I had, and a couple of those were Catholic, so holy, I was on, I was on another, another planet, right? And so I just really didn't understand any of it. <clears throat> and I'm sitting there, and I thought I had just burned the holy water, yeah. and that they would never accept me, and they were going to usher yeah, now, me out the door. Now they knew who I am, right? And I just told them <laughs> hey, my Nick, whole story. I told <laughs> hey, them about Nick. the drugs, I told them about the women, I told them about the alcohol, I told them about everything, yeah. right? And I'm like, holy cow, they're going to usher me out. He told me about grace, mercy, and love and oh. defined them for me and explained to me that the only place that that originates from is from our Savior and God in heaven. And it made a world of sense to me that All nothing sudden, in this like, world could actually <laughs> accomplish what the Creator has done for us. Yeah. And so I sat and I listened to the program that day. It was Celebrate Recovery at that time, 12-step program. They mm-hmm. went through one of the steps. They sent everybody out to uh, breakout rooms. But during the breakout rooms, they keep the newbies and they kind of just talk to them. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you exactly where I was, exactly what time it was. And he said, if any of you guys want to receive the gospel, today's your day. And I raised my hand. I got down on my knees. And a man by the name of Michael Perrin, who was yes. the guy who heard my story, led me to Christ. Um, I who's, haven't had a got drop. A, who's got a similar story? Hey, and by the way, I haven't had a drop of alcohol since that day. Wow. And so for those of you who think that you can't overcome this thing, cold turkey. I didn't use anything. The Holy Spirit filled the void in my heart. I realized I didn't have a need for it. And I started putting the building blocks back together of building my life again. And I did it with the foundation uh, that the Bible claims cannot be, cannot be washed away by the storms. That's right. So I started on that day down a path of recovery. Um, I was discipled at a high level by Michael Perrin three times a week, uh, intense, 45 to 90 minutes, having to break up with girls because I was having uh, lustful thoughts, having to um, – I, I went to the bar a couple times, and he kind of used a line like, hey, if you ever want to have a drink, I'll buy your first one. And so I went, and I, I can remember it clearly, going to the bar, ordering a glass of wine, sitting there staring at it, and not having the courage to call him to pay for it and pushing it back across the bar, paying for it, and leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going on a date and a girl ordering a dessert that had alcohol on top of it, mm-hmm. and I took a bite not knowing that the alcohol was there, spit it out, left the establishment, <laughs> like totally embarrassed myself, never saw her again. Which ended up working out because my wife's the most amazing sacrificial woman on the place of the planet. She's super loyal to me and to our family and to the Lord. So uh, that worked out really well for me. Amen. But just going through those process. And then yeah. there was a time period where um, I had to transition. Uh, I learned this lesson along the way that all relationships end. Um, and so my discipleship relationship with him ended. Our friendship remained. Mm-hmm. And then another man stepped in uh, by the name of Bud McGinnis. And mm-hmm. Bud McGinnis then discipled me for about 18 months. And so my first 36 months of being a Christian, not only was I an illiterate adult, so I could uh, comprehend and take in a high capacity of Scripture, but then also it was all fresh to me. Yeah. I didn't have a background of church and religion that was blurring my vision of connecting with my Savior. Yep. And so during that time period, these men were discipling me. Uh, I grew at leaps and bounds. And so um, they started teaching me. I'll tell you, this is the thing that I, they taught me that uh, I will never forget is that um, our faith is a two-sided coin. You can work on your own personal salvation, but until you start serving and giving back, you're only half. And really, you can't do one without the other. And so the fruit that the Bible speaks of is when we serve and give. 
Okay, and we we do that in response to our own personal salvation growing. Those who don't serve and give, I I have to ask you, are you really working on your salvation? Because not only does the Bible command this, but then the Holy Spirit inside of me convicts me that I'm supposed to serve and give. And so, you know, that's one of those two-sided coins that you have to go, hey, you might be working on one side of your coin, but until you do this other side of the coin, are you really doing the deal? You know, James talks about being a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. Well, until you're a doer of the word, I think you're falling short of the of the calling. Yeah. So, well, I, anyways, you've been you've been blessed to be a blessing, and that that's a, that's a concept, right? Is so much has been given to you, right? But because things have been given to you, right, a lot is expected and required of you, and mm-hmm. that that concept is so true that you right picked up on that that idea, right? That hey, here's what God's done for me, right? So then, what do I do in return to give back to right the kingdom? That's 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 insane. That's incredible. What what would you say? Um, let's go back to Nick at twenty. Okay. <laughs> so Nick at twenty, I was a sophomore at Florida State University. I was a second year um, fraternity member. I joined as a I joined I didn't join as a freshman. I joined as a sophomore, and I had just finished my like initiation in into the fraternity. So now I'm a brother and not a pledge. Okay. And that's where I would have been at twenty years old. What would that conversation look like with you sitting down? I mean, I don't know that I would have heard it. Okay. I would have told you that you're crazy yep. and that um, I was living the version of me I was supposed to. Isn't that crazy? And to be honest with you, it, um, I love you, Dad, but you, my dad had shown me that drinking and uh, business and money was number one. Yeah. Like, that's what we were supposed to do. Right. Uh, chasing women was part of that. And that worrying about me, like my wife someday was supposed to serve me. Yep. That's what I had learned in my upbringing. And once again, Dad, I love you to the end of the earth, and you've done so much for me and supported me in so many ways. In this particular area, I don't think that I got the training that I needed to be the man that God called me to be. I was the man my dad had called me to be. Yeah. So, so if you had sat down with your 20-year-old self, right, and had that conversation, you think that 20-year-old Nick would have been like, dude, I'm, I'm killing it here. Are you missing something? I've got some four-letter <laughs> words that probably would have come out and told you to go fly a kite. Um, and really, so this is something, right, the recovery and, and mental health community understands that a lot of other people don't. If there's not a willingness, you can't do much about it. Yeah. And so, I mean, I dropped a person off at rehab a couple weeks ago, and I've been talking to him a lot. And until he has a willingness to get better, I don't think rehab will help him. Yeah. And I told him that. I go, you're just trying to suffice your wife in the court. Like, you're, you're not doing this for you. You're not doing it for your Savior. You're not doing it for any other reason that the court told you you had to, and you don't want your wife to leave. Yeah. I go, and that's not sustainable. Eventually, those two reasons will go away. And then what will you do on that day? And so there has to be a willingness to get better. Yeah, which is why a lot of people talk about that idea that, you know, a person kind of has to hit rock bottom mm-hmm. because then that gives you that motivation to say, okay, I can't go any lower. <laughs> so so now, now what are the other alternatives, right? You were really, in, in a sense, right, a very fortunate young man mm-hmm. that those three things, those markers, and I, I think everybody has those things if you just look at it, right? God's graciousness is right. I, I think he you know, speaks into the life if people would pay attention and say, hey, let me, let me just give you a little heads up, right? The alarm clock's going off, right? Are you going to wake up or not? And I think a lot of people just keep on sleeping through that. They just keep on going until they hit that rock bottom and boom, right? Like I've, you know, now that path doesn't go anywhere anymore. I've got to find a different path, right? You were at a point where you could have stayed on that path for 
well, maybe seven to 11 more the years. The doctor said seven <laughs> to 11 more years. And then the heart would have given out. Well, and the distractions of life do that to us, right? Yeah. There's so many things we can be distracted by. Our phones are number one, mm. you know, social media and technology and just the things that we take in. Yeah. I, I struggle with social media. I don't really like it. And I find myself going on and off of it from time to time for different reasons, whether it's marketing for business or it's building a youth baseball team or whatever the reasons that I might have to be on social media. I find myself going in and out of it because it's such a negative to my personal walk. Yes. And so I, you know, it's one of those things that I really have to put up some major boundaries. I've got to um, give people the right to hold me accountable. You know, there's various things that I have to do. The distractions of being a father and having three children. I mean, it's really easy to idolize your family and yeah. to give up on your savior. Yeah. Um, it's really easy to be really concerned about your wife and your intimacy and, and your physical life with her and to n- neglect the fact that you're the leader. And to know and to be selfish, yeah. Uh, because you know, I think that the Native Americans had it right when they make a, to- a totem pole, right? The the highest ranking person's at the bottom. At the bottom, it's a beautiful way of putting it. It's the it. same way Jesus, when yep. he serves his disciples, he shows them just as the lowest servant in this room, I will clean your feet, because you need to know that I did not come to be served, I came to serve. Yeah. Which is that two sided coin that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I love that. What would you say then to um, the person who hasn't figured out? Um, what to do with that, um, as you said, kind of that, you know, the, the black dog, the dark days, the the depression, um, wh- where's where's the light that they can turn to? I mean, so in full transparency, I deal with this still every day. Hmm. Um, I still have things about myself that I don't like. Um, you know, it's funny, when I didn't know the Lord, I had never been convicted of my sin, so I thought I was perfect. Um, and then, you know, I went through this time period of getting to know the Lord and understanding that I'm a sinner that falls short of the glory of God yeah. and that I'm going to screw up every day. And I need to be able to give myself grace. Now, here's what I find is that I get judgmental with other people, and then I start getting judgmental at myself. Okay. And then that turns into the spiral that allows the black cloud to move in. Yeah. And I need men in my life, both accountability partners and mentors, who are able to catch me and snap me out of it faster. Yeah. So I stay in that cycle for a lot shorter periods of time today than I used to. Yeah. And then I also know that um, without a shadow of a doubt, I'm not going to go drink. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, it's, it's, it might be something else, <laughs> but it's not going to be drinking. And then what I would tell people who, who struggle with you know, depression is you um, – this is a, a, a mental health one-liner – Uh, When you confess your sins to God, you are forgiven. When you confess your sins to a human, you get freedom. Mm. And what is that freedom? You're no longer holding it in. It's not on the inside. It's not hidden anymore. You have to say it out loud. You have to verbally say it. Look, the only thing that's omniscient is your prayer. Your prayer can go to the Lord. Okay, But when you're just thinking and when you're just hanging out, look, you're human. You're not God. You have to say it out loud. You have to verbally put it out there, and somebody has to hear it. Mm. Why does somebody have to hear it? Because that person can pray for you. That person can then hold you accountable. That person can check in on you. And look, they're not, they're not trying to be judgmental. At least the people that I hang out with that I call my friends aren't necessarily judgmental. Right. People that I don't know might be, but people that I do know love me enough to hold me accountable. Look, I went to a bachelor party recently where there was a lot of stuff. And all of those people who were there, because once again, these are my people, that's why I got invited to the bachelor party, they didn't even joke about me having a drink. Yeah. They knew that I wasn't going to walk into that establishment. Look, I will go to a pool hall and play pool because there's an activity there that's not drinking. But I will not go sit at the bar where they're drinking yeah. and have a water. There's too much temptation there. Yeah. There's no chance. Yeah. And you know what? Those same people that are going to go do that thing because – 
they get to make those choices for themselves. They're the ones who will not allow me to go sit there because I confessed my sins to a human so they could hold me accountable to the things I claim to be important to me. And what things are important to me? Well, my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my community, and then the ability to spread the gospel. And if anything gets in the way of those things, then it needs to be cut off. Yeah. I like how you shared, though, that, that those dark days, right, can come, right? But mm-hmm. the, the job is to not allow them to take over. That's right. Right? And, and, you know, not being able to do this on your own to make sure that you have accountability and people who can speak truth into you and people who can help you on the journey is such an important part, right? I think so many guys feel like they're alone and they're like, hey, Nick, I, I, okay, I get it. Um, I just need to be better at this, mm-hmm. right? And and the the reality is is like here's here's the deal, right? You, you need to find some other people to come alongside you to help you become the person and the version of the person, right? That you know that you can be that God has designed for you. Yeah. But God didn't design for us to do this alone, right? He designed for us to be in community. That's the one thing I love about the nature of God that sometimes we forget. Even his nature is community. That's right. <laughs> right? There's three of them. There's three of them. <laughs> there's three right? of them. He's, I mean, not, he's like, not one. There, like, there's literally nothing that God does outside of community. And why do we feel like we can do it if God has designed himself to be right a trinity? Why wouldn't he take his creation, create it in his image, and say, hey, you need community too? Right, so it's the it's the thing is you know, who who are the people that have your back? Who are the people that you've said, hey, when you see me like this, when you see me do this, when you hear this coming out of my mouth, when you see me go to this particular place, right? You got to come in and you got to step in. You got to help me because I'm going to do the same thing for you. That's right. Right. Those people who love you enough to speak truth to you. Mm-hmm. Right. I heard somebody somebody say the other day, right? That's a great definition of a friend. Yeah. Right. Is the person who speaks the most truth to you. Yep. And our culture has set us up for isolationism. I mean, with technology and yep. social media, you can you can communicate without leaving your home. We can work from home now. Um, I mean, it just it, everything suits you to be able to go sit alone. Yes. And and these are my finger quotes that you all can't see, but and connect with others. Yeah, that's not but connection. Connection is in is even the scientists would tell you like there's a huge difference in the way that our brains fire when we are in a room with people versus on Zoom with people. Totally. And, and everybody knows it. And everybody knows everybody it. Everybody knows it. But we all <laughs> try to stay home. Yeah. And we all like, – we're, we're the only culture – the United States is the only culture on earth where we move away from our family. It is. Every other culture on earth, you, you multi-generationally do this thing yep. together. Yep. But for whatever reason, you know, our American dream yep. is to move far away from mom and dad yeah. and do this thing on my own. And we call it success. And we call it success. We call it success. Success is I'm not in the same place, right, where I grew up in that little house where my parents were. Now I'm – Miles and miles and miles, hours and hours and hours away from all the people who can speak truth into me that know me, right? And I'm off on my own trying to do life. And I've got a big house and a big car, and I'm doing life great. And it's just like, no, you're not. You're not. You're alone. <laughs> you're, you're, you're alone. And, right, the enemy has isolated you, and he's going he's, he's gonna to take you out. Mm-hmm. And, and I see so many of those guys, right, those, that, that mid-life crisis, right, mm-hmm. that late 30s, early 40s, right, where all of a sudden you kind of go – what I've been building and working towards, right, I find out really isn't significant and meaningful, and now I don't know what I do. I'll leave you with this. This was a really good one. I, I met with a guy the other day. I'm a financial advisor, and so I talk to people about their money and insurance and ideas and stuff like that and legacy. And he told me the other day he's, he has substantial wealth, but he said he would pay $500,000 right now for a one-week vacation with his daughter when she was four, who's now a grown mm. adult. 
that's 30 years old. And, and they've mended their relationship. And, I mean, yep. he has a lot of money, so she's not yep. going anywhere. Yep. But he, so he told me, he's like, I don't need more money. Yep. He I goes, need more time. I need more time. Yep. And so what we can invest in other people, whether they're our family or not, doesn't matter. Yeah. What we can invest in other people um, is what's the difference in this world. Amen. For those who think that the world's going to hell in a handbasket right now, like just go invest in some people. Find a crew, you know, go, go serve in a... Ch- change one life. Change one life. It doesn't have to be a thousand. doesn't have to be a million, right? Invest in one, one at a time. Invest in one person, right? And I think that's why, you know, the, how scripture sets it up is the older men are supposed to be training the younger men. Mm-hmm. The older women are supposed to be training the younger women. So that the, the model is already there. And here's the thing. If you don't have that, if, as you said, if you're a young man and you don't have an older guy who's investing in you, shame on you. Right. Right, and if you're an older guy, you're an older guy, and you don't have some younger guys that you're investing in, then shame on you. I keep hearing this over and over again. I don't have time. That's what I keep hearing from people. Mm. I don't have time for that. Yeah. Well, you're gonna run out of time too. Yep. Man, that's a good way. That's a good word, man. Nick, thank you for sharing the journey. Um, it, it is a um, a miraculous journey that God gets all the credit for and all the glory for of, of what he snatched each of us out of. That's right. The um, pit. But the, the pit and, <laughs> uh, and has placed us among princes, right? But um, I, I, one of the things I love about you uh, is just your passion for your family uh, and your passion for your community, right? Mm-hmm. The church and the Lord. Uh, and it's just, it's fun to watch you do life. I know um, the darkness from which you came, and I get it, right? But it's so much light and energy that you bring today. It's uh, its just such a blessing to be around you. Well, so. thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.